So welcome back to the Active Listener. Um, as always, I've got an interesting guest. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Great to have you here. So I guess without further ado, tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, I live in Scotland now, but I'm from, as we say up here, from down south. I was born in Gloucestershire and born in a place called Stroud. And that's where I spent the first part of my life, beautiful part of the world. I then went off to uni. I then went to London. I then went to Brussels and then we came up here. Um, so that's been the geographical thread, I guess. The, the career thread has been so from an early stage, I was into environmental stuff. I think that's a really key thing about what I've been up to. Um, I don't know where it came from, but I picked it up at school. I did biology A level. I studied all that similar stuff at uni. And then I found myself wanting to work in the environmental field. Um, and through a few indirect routes, ended up doing that. Um, and then we may, maybe come back to that on the on the details of the career. But my my the main part of my career, I guess, has been in what we can call clean energy, low carbon energy. Um, first of all, in a sort of campaigning, lobbying, policy influencing type NGO type mode. And then I set up a business in the clean energy field up here in Edinburgh. Um, and then the latter part, I, th I then uh, left that business only about three years ago now. <clears throat> and everybody uses the word retire to describe what I did. Um, I'm 61 and I'm far too young to retire anyway, and I don't think I ever will. But but for me, it was simply another stage of my career. So the environmental passion is still very much there, but um, children's issues have become more important uh, as well. And I can talk about some of the things I do with that. And how does coaching fit into all this? I mean, I've never really been a full on professional, full time, 100 percent coach. It's never been the plan. However, I did some coaching at, in, in my business. That's where I learned to coach and and it's and it's and and I do some coaching now, but some of the coaching skills, it's the coaching skills, I think, which is a more interesting thing to talk about. Um, so that's the geography of my background. That's the career bit. Um, I mean, behind everything, it's tried to say, but the, the key pillars to my life are my family. Um, my wife, my two children and my siblings in particular. Um, and we can come back to, to that because sometimes you find yourself bringing coaching skills into conversations you have with your family as well. So um, so that's a little bit about about the thread of my the thread of my life, I guess, so far. Yeah. Well, great, Michael. Um, it sounds like a lot of stuff we could go into there. And a lot of that is relevant, particularly today with the, the greening issues and so on. And it sounds like uh, the the coaching has been that thread in, in different ways in all those kind of personal relationships as well as work related ones. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. So we we hear about sort of the background there. I'm just interested to know how he progressed on from business and utilizing the skills that you have uh, from business and coaching to where you are now. What was the transition? So I get let's start let's start with where did I first come across the whole concept of coaching um, in the in the sense that we're talking about today and that was um, 
in the part of my career with the, the clean energy consultancy business, um, which I set up in the early 2000s. And then it grew and we started bringing in people and I can't remember how it happened, but I think we were being advised by a, a, a consultant to 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 advise us on on helping to manage our team as well as possible because we wanted to we we wanted everyone in the business to love their job to work hard and to be motivated to succeed and someone must have come along one day and talked to us about this and talked about coaching and then I think he or she might have mentioned the John Whitmore book coaching for performance <laughs> uh which which is an easy read and i thought okay this is this is all pretty interesting so so i and my director colleagues started adopting some of those techniques but we were never trained in it you know we, we read a book and we brought common sense skills to it so i think some of it we did well and some of it we probably could have done a lot better but that's where i first became aware of it and the value of it um and then i think i just built that into my everyday work as far as possible when it came to communicating and managing and motivating and all those things that you try to do as best as you can with the team that you have around you the colleagues and the team that you have around you so then when i left the business in 2019 in the in the six months leading up to me i knew about a year ahead that i was going to be leaving and i thought okay well in the in the in the with the principle always in mind keep learning stuff I thought I would learn how to be a coach not, and do a coaching course, you know, learn how to do it properly. Um, and so I did a course with the Academy of Executive Coaching in London, really enjoyed it, learned a huge amount. Did I, did I not want to become a coach? Didn't really know at that point. I know now I don't want to be one, um, but but then I and then I left the business. I left I left the the energy business, the, the clean energy business. I did some coaching and mentoring, some um, volunt voluntary uh, type coaching and mentoring, uh, some paid for stuff, um, and I continue to do that, but not in a not on a big scale. And I enjoy that. And the, the the focus I have there, both on the mentoring and the coaching, and and you and you and your listeners will know the huge distinction there. Um, but I like to coach and support owners of small social enterprises. So these are these are businesses with a purpose, and that's very much my thing. I felt that the energy company that we we ran was was very much a business with a purpose. So that's what I try to do there, but I do a number of other things as well now. I, and in no particular order, I um, I volunteer on a helpline for a Scottish, well, the Scottish children's charity, Children's First. They have a helpline not for children, but for parents. It's called Parentline. There was training for that. I volunteered for that. I've been doing that three years now. I did the training. And one thing that struck me very early on was the skill set for the helpline which is phone only really so well corresponds to the some of the coaching skills and we can we can go into that um but i thought hang on a minute this this is applying the same skills to two very different contexts um and i do a weekly sometimes a bi-weekly shift um uh, on that um did one wednesday evening this week um i mentor a uh, I'm part of a, a mentoring program in Scotland. It's spreading to England, actually, whereby um, mentors, people like me, ordinary people like me, are matched with care experienced children 
within the Scottish state secondary school system. Um, so we have a we have a secondary school just around the corner here. I mentored a. He began at, when I when he was 16 and he's left school now 17. I, I mentored a boy there for two years and I've just started with the new school year. I've just picked up another young person to mentor this year. Um, that began online, uh, is now face to face and that's more mentoring, less coaching, but again, so many skills. Um, connecting in particular with a well, this time I've got a 14 year old boy and I, that's going to that's going to be a challenge for me. Um, but uh, but I, again, I bring some of the I do bring some of the same skill set, including the active listening. Active listening is part of all of this. Um, I do bring the active listening to that role as well. I'm on the board of a uh, Scottish charity that supports families where there is a member uh, of the family with an eating disorder. Um, so the, the 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 key thing there is that ideally in an ideal world, the young person, normally a young person with the eating disorder receives whatever support they need from the health system. It's not always the case, but the family around that person get no support or help or guidance at all on on, on all the things they will need support with. So that's the purpose of that charity. Um, and I have just started uh, as a member of the Scottish Children's Hearing System, so it's a little bit different in Scotland to to England, the whole child protection um, infrastructure. Um, but part of the system up here is that um, uh, there are opportunities to refer for teachers or police or parents or whatever to refer children to the hearing system for legal decisions which are uh, the purpose of which is to what's the best way of it protecting this child and giving a legal enforcement to the protection of that child. Um, so uh, again, listening skills, connecting, um, open questions, exploring. Um, I would say the coaching skills that I've picked up, but and I'm still trying to develop are a, an important part of that as well. So, so there's a sorry, Mark. There's quite a few things there, but I think I think. Um, your your question was about the transition from the the commercial to the non-commercial um, part of my career and the thread of the coaching and the coaching skills I picked up at the business and which I tried to develop fully as fully as possible since then and which I'm which I'm continuing to try to develop. Yeah. Wow, it sounds like you're a, a very busy man and I think what's interesting there is that there's been a progression that you haven't pigeonholed yourself in any way. So you, you've recognised through business, you have a certain skill set um, regarding people and, and, and feeding into them and so on. And obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, um, I don't want to speak for you, but it sounds like that you've recognised your skill set there the coaching interested you and there was obviously skills that you had had in business which you had to develop further and you were able to enact those uh, by by working with adults initially by the sounds of things. Uh, what I'm interested uh, is actually you decided it, it that wasn't for you. You certainly don't want to um, do that as a full time thing. Was there anything particularly which caused you to decide that before we go on and explore? Um, I would say 
I wasn't hungry enough for it, probably. There was a there was a moment, I think, during the training when I was just loving all of that world so much and the people who were doing the training and my fellow trainees. And I was beginning to really see the power of coaching. You know, the immense potential power of coaching. I thought, OK, I just want to throw myself into that pool. Um, and. Then I think I felt OK in order to do that. It's going to be a bit like, you know, do I do I, you know, I'd started a business once and it was it was a lot. It really was a lot of hard work and. Um, and I learned a lot from that first time round. Was I ready to do it again? I think I would be ready to do it again if, if I was hungry enough, but I just wasn't hungry enough. And the the whole children's stuff started. Um, started snowballing a little bit. And. And I don't regard the two as incompatible at all, and as I've tried to say already that there's there's a, a huge amount of complementarity between between the two, but I just wasn't I just wasn't hungry enough to throw myself into that because I remember that if you want to start a business, I wouldn't have wanted to be a one person thing. I would have wanted to grow a business like I had last time. And and I think that would have been a hundred and ten percent commitment probably for a few years and I wasn't quite hungry enough for that. So. But I do the skills. And I think perhaps I didn't really need to do that in order to to keep the skills alive and keep developing them and things like that. Yeah, so that's probably that's the main reason. And you know, I think that that's that's really good that you have that self-awareness because there's almost that point that if you had gone down that route, you could potentially end up disliking the very thing that you you feel impassioned by and one of the things that strikes me is your ability then to recognize the skills that the crossover because you're absolutely right I could see that the crossover there I used to be a teacher and a mentor myself and I, I can see the skills that I use today certainly relate back to all those years ago um, because it's commonality but you see you have boundaries in that you don't go into one or the other depending on the circumstance so I can see how that is evolved for you. One of the things that strikes me throughout your story, so to speak, so far, is that kind of sense of um, purpose, doing good, making an impact, whether that be for the environment, whether that be for people in their, their career, or whether from what you're doing recently with young people. Would that be a fair comment? Um, yeah, I mean, the purpose thing is a really important thing, isn't it? And um, I think it means different things to different people, obviously. Um, and I, you know, per so personally, yes, I think I, I mean, I've never really thought of having a sense of purpose at all. I've just thought in environmental, in environmental issues interest me and concern me. So what's the point of having a career in anything other than environmental stuff and trying to make the world a little bit of a, a more environmentally healthy place? I mean, there just didn't seem to be any. Any 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 other option um, than that, and I and 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 there have been times through my career when I have tried to visualize myself as doing something very different and when I've tried to do that, it's all I've always thought. No, I couldn't have done that and I'm really glad I, I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, 
so and I think it's the same with the, all the children's things now. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 we we all know about the 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 the, um, the 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 problems and challenges there are facing children. I mean, it's probably been the same through history, but it's 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 very relevant now. And um, I'll tell you what I, th I think what got me <laughs> what got me started with that. So I'm a big fan of cricket. I'm a big cricket fan, and so. 10 or 15 years ago when I didn't really have the time to do it properly, but when the, when my own children were a little bit younger, you know, you get into the things and they they both took up cricket um, and they both played it and I got into cricket coaching and um, and you and I got into the coaching the younger children. And um, and you start to, you know, for the first time in my life, really, I saw directly the different behaviours, the different personalities certain children who were clearly happy and fine, certain other children who were clearly had real issues. And I had I was completely unqualified to manage those during a cricket coaching session. But it just got me thinking and then you meet their parents and it just got me thinking a little bit about about children and why they are how they are. So I think that was a bit of a driver and I for, for what for the things I've picked up um, more recently. Um, and I've become more aware. I've taken more of an interest in it. I've done training and all sorts of things. And obviously, being part of the children's hearing system now, I'm, you know, face to face confronted with, you know, very severe child protection issues every time I do a hearing. So, um, so the purpose thing. I mean, I wouldn't call it purpose. I would just probably call it things that that int interest me um, greatly, concern me greatly tons of other things that concern me greatly, but um, yeah, I, I guess the sense of purpose thing is an important is an important thing. And, and whenever I see someone else like that, so I mentioned earlier on to the extent I do mentoring and coaching now and I come across and I get the opportunity to coach or mentor the owner of a small social enterprise, which sort of by definition, they've got a sense of purpose. You know, that really that really interests me. And you know these 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 young younger people, young people, who want to start a business and make a difference. You know, I'll do, I do. I I love that seeing that sense of purpose. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think what comes across from what you're saying is, uh, for you anyway, it's almost a matter of fact. Well, it's natural. Why wouldn't you want to help do the environment? Well, the environment. Why wouldn't you want to help? young people it's something that you do because you're interested in and obviously believe in and a lot of people don't have that you know um they don't have that same desire or for whatever reason life crowds in and you have to pay the mortgage you know um so it's really interesting that you've you've had that opportunity and it sounds as well to be honest uh, particularly the hearing uh work sounds like it's incredibly challenging how do you go about looking after yourself in those instances um so i would say i would say so i'll i'll, I'll not only use the children's hearing work that i've just started doing but i'll also use the helpline the parent line helpline i mentioned um, so both both um, 
organizations, the institutions that run them. I mean, they, the self-care is a really big part of it. So after each parent line shift, you know, you sit down, the supervisor there says, are you OK? You know, and you have that discussion. So there's a lot, you know, the idea of self-care is is really very strong. Mm. And and then the children's hearing system have their own counselors for for panelists um, as well. Now, I. There's only been so far, I've only just started doing the, the children's panel. I've only done two hearings. I would still I'm 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 still learning. I'm learning that I've done all the training. They wouldn't let me into the hearing room to be a panelist unless they felt confident that I could do it. And there's always three of us doing it. The other at the moment, the other two I've got are more experienced than me, so that's okay. But neither of the hearings I've done. Um, I've particularly felt at the end of it thinking, mm, I, yeah, I need I need some time out here. But there have been some parent line shifts where I've had I've had some upsetting calls. Um, it's when it's when uh, it'll happen with the hearing, I'm told, but it's when people are in tears and uncontrollable tears. Um, that get me and. Um, so you stick with it while you're on the call, but but there's been a couple of calls when I've really needed the call is finished and I've really needed to, to leave the call room and the supervisor is there. They're 100 percent supportive. Um, and I think that's the key thing, actually, coming back to your question of self-care, are you confident that the infrastructure around you, the support infrastructure around you will enable you and give you whatever you need? At a particular moment and in both both those I do I do have that a thought that's going through my mind a little bit as we're talking about this Mark is. Um, you know there have been times when there have been times when I've got upset that I think I wouldn't have expected to get upset and there have been times when I've been almost unaffected when I think other people might have thought well why hasn't that affected him and I, I, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to any of that, but I think I'm sort of resilient. I think I'm pretty resilient on on that front. I think you need to be resilient, or else it, you wouldn't be a lot of help on a on a call or in a, in a hearing. You know, if you needed to step outside because you were so upset, I think you have to stay with it and and be aware of what you've got. Be aware of the role that you're there for and doing it as well as possible. So. In, that's how I'd answer your question, I think, on self-care. I know the support is there if I need it, and there have been times when I've needed it, and there will be in the future. And that's a that's a massive comfort, obviously. Yeah, there, there sounds, uh, again, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of things there. There's about self-resilience, uh, and what does that mean to you, and what does that look like? And also the importance of having, as you put it, some sort of infrastructure system in place of uh, care of support. So firstly, what does resilience mean to you? So again, it's really only a word. I mean, I've always known the word resilient, obviously, um, you know, we know we know it, but in the context of personality. And and I've and I think that I've only become more aware of that in recent years. Mm -hmm. um, because of the sort of stuff I've been doing more recently, and it probably came up in the in the coaching training I did and and the concept of resilience. And it's certainly been very upfront in my training, all the various trainings I've done for the children's world, because. Because a, f a very formal part of. 
child welfare assessment is what are the sources of resilience in their lives and where where is where is the where is the sources of resilience resilience absent i mean it's so resilience to me means um i think coping coping well responding well to a challenging or the ability to cope well to a, to a very challenging set of circumstances. So I think um, and I. Yeah, I don't know whether that's the right definition or not, but that's what it feels like to me. And I think personally, I don't think I'm a hugely resilient person in some ways. I've just talked about ways in, in ways in which I perhaps am resilient, resilient with these calls and the hearings, but actually. I remember when I was setting up the business and actually through the through the course of my career, if if there were when knocks came in for them from the side or or problems or difficulties or crises or things like that. Um, they. I've not always been confident I can get through them. I mean, I have one way or another. But I think that you know, certainly in the early part of setting up the the energy business. Um, you know, there were there were there were times when I thought oh, I'm not. Yeah, is this going to work? Am I going to be able to do this? Um, so tons of self doubt, and so I'm, and I think we you know we we probably all get self doubt, but I would say that I'm not. You know, and in, in the on the on the spectrum of self doubters from the. Donald Trump has no self doubt to the most fragile person you can imagine at the other end. You know, I'm I'm a little I'm a little bit towards that latter end. Um, I think I often need more. I often need um, others around me to validate, support, confirm. And certainly getting through those early days in the business, it would have been a fellow director or my wife or a friend or something like that who would have who would have helped. So. So I think one of the hallmarks of a successful entrepreneur would be high resilience. Somehow I don't think I do have high resilience, but I sort of got through it somehow or other, and I'm really glad I did. Um, so I use that personal example as a way of demonstrating. You know what I how I see resi how I see resilience. Yeah. Well, thanks for your honesty there, um, Michael. That that's really refreshing, um, and I'd argue perhaps that um, the fact that you are able to recognise that and move on does show resilience, and the the sense you were kind of doubting yourself. I think tapping into that uh, that sense of um, am I able to do that? I think you are. You've you've got a pedigree, so to speak, in in what you've achieved thus far. Um, and I think also what it speaks to me about is this whole thing of being self-aware. And you mentioned um, doing the training, you become aware of self. And, and I, I, I agree. I mean, certainly that's something that I've experienced uh, both in terms of my training and, and, and various things, I suppose, as I've got older or become more mature in, uh, on in my, my career and so on. But you become much more, one becomes much more aware of what we can and can't do, but actually that isn't necessarily negative things, how that can be tapped into to understand how other people are and, and understand perhaps our in, interaction with them. And 
you know, in, in terms of coaching, being active coach, being active listener, but kind of dialing down on that inner dialogue, you know, what you're actually listening to, to in order for that not to affect or filter um, through when someone's presenting to you. Mm-hmm. So that that strikes me. The other thing as well is when you're talking uh, about resilience and you're talking about um, structure and effectively support around you, it makes me think about how does that apply to life outside of the context of coaching. You made reference earlier actually to family and how we have the, how those coaching skills can be used in in other relationships. So unpack that a little bit for me. So I would say um, overall, a lot of the skills that I've picked up, you've picked up in 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 learning how to be a coach. Um, and I said earlier on about how that corresponded so strongly to the training I got for the helpline. I mean, it was uncanny, the resemblance to it. Um, and in particular, the the listening, the active listening, the ability to listen, giving giving the person to whom you're speaking space, silences, questioning, you know, skilled skilled questioning. Um, the 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 requirement for empathy, um, the acceptance of emotion, uh, the turning off of the instinct, the, the the instincts which we have in ourselves to fix people's problems. Um, I don't know how many things have I listed there. Four or five, anyway. I mean, I think they are life skills. And um, I so wish that I had done whatever I needed to do in my 20s that I've been able to pick up in my 50s. Um, I think I think um, yeah, it would have made a difference for sure. So I. I do find that um, you, you bring some of that into conversations with family I mean it and it improves conversations with family I think um I mean you'd probably you might well get a different view from my from my family but I think there's sort of that's just a feeling you know there's a I think I think there's a sense that some of the some of the things I do bring have helped have helped um have, have helped me connect better with the people around me and you know that word connecting is such an important word, I think, um, because the purpose of all these skills, well, one one of the purposes anyway, is to connect better. Because by connecting better, the person you're speaking with can can be better heard, can be better understood, and so I think def I I feel that I have better relationships with with um, with my wife, my children, my siblings, my friends some of the people I now work with as a consequence of just being a little bit better at some of these things. Um, still a long way to go, but at least I'm not on level zero um, or level one where I spent quite a lot of time 
and so I I I do bring it. And actually, some of those skills, you know, they're, they're um, no one has yet said, Michael, you're in coaching mode now. You know, turn your coaching, turn your co take your coaching hat off. So that's a good thing. So at least I can bring some of those skills into everyday conversation in a way that it's not bleeding obvious what I'm what I'm doing. Um, but I use the word connecting there as well, Mark, and I saw you nod in 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 reference to that. And um, so the quite early on doing the helpline. Um, it wasn't one of the core skills, this word connecting, but I remember one of the supervisors, I think at the end of a shift, you know, I'd said I felt I connected well with that caller quite early on and or something like that. Um, or it could have been, I think I don't think I connected with that caller at all, can't remember. But the supervisor said. Connect connecting is all. Um, because and the, and the, and what she meant by that was you can you cannot get anywhere in a conversation with someone unless you can connect. Um, and. And how do you connect? Um, well, by making it absolutely clear that you're listening to someone and that you're understanding what they're saying and then you bring some of the other skills in. So um, and that's a lovely feeling, you know, isn't it a nice feeling when when you when you are feeling you're connecting with someone who I don't know, you don't always connect with or you're connecting with much better than you used to. Um, or wow, I've only met this person two minutes ago, but we're already talking about this and there's a. You know, we're connecting. That's that's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a great feeling and. Um, and probably we could all benefit from a lot more of it. Um, so so yeah, and and the and final final thing on this, you know, in 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 the stuff I do now, you see so many families where the communication is so poor, there's no connecting or mutual understanding going on at all. Or most, if not all, the relationships are poor or really poor, um, and they're dysfunctional. And um, yeah, so you can see that the flip side of the coin is leads to leads to a lot of damage. Thank you, and it, that's really interesting. And I certainly connect with a lot of what you're saying. I think it comes down to helping uh, or showing the other person that you care and you value what they have to say. And that's, you know, without trying to plug this podcast too much, that that's one of the things that I try and underpin uh, the conversations that I genuinely are interested in what someone has to share. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly as a coach, you know, I've had the privilege to um, coach people from all over the world, um, from very different cultures to my own, very different backgrounds to my own. Um, and on paper, we can be very, very different, different experiences and such. But the thing that really helps is that mm -hmm that connection in terms of listening and I'm not trying to big myself up for me it's just you know generally it's a two-way thing isn't it um, in, in that coaching relationship at least that you're, you're working together and showing that curiosity and um, yeah wanting to understand because I think that's how we all grow if we give people space to speak and if we do truly listen yeah we we may not agree on everything we all have different views on stuff but we can find some sort of mutual ground or agree to disagree there's nothing yeah. wrong with that but we need to give space to the other i'm going into my ideology now of 
the world is fantastic and we save the world. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think what you're saying there is really, really key. That that connection, I think, is really important. Yeah, and what's interesting, I think, well, but there's tons of interesting things around this, but I often wonder if if there are certain, if there are people who, you know, well, there will be, I know, but who with whom I would not be able to connect. Yeah, there will be a lot, but I guess what's behind that question a little bit, and I remember asking this explicitly doing the coaching training, you know, are there people who are uncoachable? Um, I, I think I just put it out there one session, you know, what do you do if someone's sent along? Because often people are sent along for coaching, aren't they? Mm. And and they're uncoachable or people who simply don't feel the need, the need to be coached. You know, there is, there is, and, and, and so I've often wondered about that. And so there's a limit, there's a limit to, to what we can achieve as coaches, I think, because, because we, we, there needs to be someone in front of us who, for whom there's a, you know, the door is partly open, probably, um, and an acceptance that there's someone in front of them who can support them in some way. Yeah. Think, thinking aloud there, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, th I think there's, it's probably not a matter that there's, that people are completely uncoachable per se. Mm. I think it comes down to a couple of things. So firstly, is the person in a place where they're open to be coached? I think if you just plonk someone in and their heart's not in it, then there's no point, you know, in, in any kind of relationship where it's coach coachee or friends or, or teacher whatever it is it is a it, for it to work it's two-way you know you you can be trying to teach someone but if that child doesn't want to engage there does come a point where there's only so far you can go I and mean, obviously as, as a teacher it's my role to encourage what's my role to encourage um to present the subject to make it interesting to engage and so on and so forth so absolutely i have a responsibility but there also comes a point where the child has a responsibility to do their homework yeah. I, I can't do the homework for them they're not going to learn that way so uh, you know i think there is that whole dynamic of are we are we able to interact and are we committed to uh, to this process in regards to uh, can we or do we connect with people, I think certain people we won't connect with mm. purely by the, the nature of that relationship. We may be coming from different viewpoints. It may be that um, someone's so irritating to you, not that they're irritating again as their identity, but it, it, it may just be there isn't that connection. And I think ultimately, uh, partly because it's it's a two-way thing and partly I think just in life certain people just don't connect with I'm, I'm sure you know people find me irritating <laughs> you know hopefully not everyone but you know and and that's fine mm. you know that that's fine it's just recognizing that and I think perhaps that is that piece about being resilient as a coach or indeed as an individual just recognize this isn't working you know um and having that open and honest conversation so they can find a coach that they can work with, you know, yeah. who, who's appropriate for them. And I think just generally, to be honest, in life, you'll find that you have people you work with who absolutely you can be pleasant with and you operate on a certain level, but it's a certain level. It just doesn't go any further than that because 
maybe your taste is so different i don't i don't know but it all comes down to people doesn't it people are people people, people and uh, well chemistry they use that word chemistry don't they um it's a sort of not a great word to describe something that we all know what it means and and that chemistry between people i do you know i sometimes wonder can you you might not have a natural chemistry with someone but can you create it in order mm. to to, to, to do your professional job and my guess is we can to, we all can to greater or lesser degree but we probably all have our limits as well. If you were to look back at uh, your life are there any specific life lessons that you would want to say to people who are listening? Um, well just based on my own experience um, obviously um, but I would say um, consciously or unconsciously, I've tried to, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things here, Mark. Um, so I've tried to invest in my health. Mm. I've tried to invest in my family and my friends, you know, the sort of foundations. We all know they're the foundations. But it's very easy to forget that that these things are really important. And you know, I'm I'm 61 now, and I'm not in my 30s or 40s, and I never used to really think about those things greatly. But as time goes by, the importance of those things become greater. So uh, I would say, as soon as you feel able to, just be aware of the importance of investing time and effort and paying due attention to those important things. I would say from a career point of view, well, I've tried to do stuff that I've, I'm interested in and find fulfilling. Um, and I'm sure that I'm sure that that's what most people try to do. Um, I've not gone after the money. Um, money's not unimportant, obviously, um, but uh, I've tried really tried to do things that I think you know, are, are consistent with my, my, you know, my values and and things I'm really interested in. So, you know, try to follow a career that's that's um, that's fulfilling. And if you're if you're not doing something, if you're really not doing something at the moment that you don't love um, or like a lot, um, then move to something else. So yeah, just a quick anecdote. I had my eyes tested last night. I went down to Specsavers, was chatting to the optician. She she asked me as I went in, you know, you do this, don't you? And I said, yeah, because she had it on her records. And she said, do you enjoy it? And I said, well, yeah, I do, or else I wouldn't do it. And then she started getting busy and I asked her later on, you know, so do you like what you do? She hesitated. She said, yeah, I like it. I have got my bad days. And I said, do you like it or love it? She said, I love it most days, but I wouldn't do anything else, she said. And I thought that's really important. If you if you really feel, no, I don't want to do something else, then you, you're doing the right thing. So that's not a bad question to ask yourself from time to time, I would say. Take your time. I didn't really settle into my career until I was late 20s, early 30s. You know, I, I really did fiddle around. I traveled. I tried different things, but my mid to late 20s were, were experimenting. So I was slow to settle. Um, and I would encourage, so my children, I encourage, you know, don't be in a hurry, Just keep busy, keep learning, but don't be in a hurry to get into whatever career it is you have in mind. Yeah, good answers, good answers. Yeah. So 
What are you most proud of? Most proud of? Um, so, I mean, there's there's personal and there's personal and professional, isn't there? So, I mean, the personal takes care of itself. I'm not going to say what everyone I hope should say about their families. They are uh, by far the most important thing in my life. Totally proud um, of that. In terms of my career, so you, so before I started a business, I mentioned I was in this sort of campaigning, policy influencing, environmental energy thing, and a lot of that was done um, by working with organisations in other countries to get their energy systems on the right track, make them less polluting. And a lot of that time was in China. And I do remember being part of, so China, um, so I went to Shanghai. It was at a time when everything was coal there and they were thinking of moving to natural gas. It's still a fossil fuel, but it's a lot cleaner. Um, and there are good ways and there are bad ways of burning natural gas. I won't bore you with the technical details, but China, but Shanghai had a real opportunity to not only go from coal to gas, but to go from coal to really, really efficient gas. Um, and I was I do feel that the work we were doing at that time was part of helping Shanghai make the right decisions at that time. And um, it's a big city, Shanghai. I haven't been there for 10 years plus now, but I sometimes think of the carbon benefits the decisions that Shanghai made at that time must be having now. And I think, well, that's, you know, that's that was a good outcome. So I do feel I do feel um, in a small in a small way, I, pay, I, I played a part in that in that process. So, yeah, I feel good about that. Excellent. And again, it's another example of what you're making an impact, mm. you know, uh, on people and in this case on a country in the world, really. Um, Okay, so favourite five. Yeah. What is your favourite song or piece of music? Um, so my favourite piece of music is so um, is the theme tune from a film called Local Hero. And the theme tune is called Going Home and it was written and performed by Mark Dopfler of Dire Straits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, so Local Hero is a 1983 film, Bill Forsyth, <laughs> about and it's set in the Scottish Highlands um, and it's a beautiful funny moving film that ends um, with a terrific piece of music and whenever my wife and I hear that music wherever we are in the world I mean we live in Scotland so that's a good start but it always reminds us of the Highlands Scottish Highlands and it's the Scottish Highlands really is the reason we live in Scotland so yeah Excellent. And a person that you most admire? So uh, quite a few people, but just because it was this week. So I mentioned early on about this mentoring I do of um, a boy at the local school, care experience boy at the local school. And at the school there, they have a number of young people who are being mentored and it's coordinated at the school by, I can't remember her job title, but she's a support teacher. She's sort of child young person welfare. Her name's Gillian. Wow, she is amazing what she does because it's a it's a school in a in a tricky catchment area, a lot of struggling children, a lot of struggling families, a lot of challenges facing the school, and she's really at the leading edge of um, 
of doing her best and the school's best to support children who really need support. And she does it in an amazing, amazingly energetic and supportive and impactful way. And so she's she's amazing. Her name is Gillian. Yeah, Gillian Murray, remarkable woman. Shout out to Gillian Murray. Thank yeah. you for all you're doing, Gillian. Yeah. Um, OK, I think I know the answer to this one. Favourite place? Favourite place? Well, you're thinking Scotland or Edinburgh um, and you're right in a sense. Um, so our favourite part of the country is the far northwest, the highlands and the islands and that northwest coast. And there's a little town there called Ullapool. Um, and there's a number of little towns and villages up there. Ullapool is a, is, a, is a beautiful place and a beautiful location. And I think, you know, whatever the time of year, whatever the situation, if someone was to plonk me in Ullapool, I would think, and every time I go there, I think, oh, wow, isn't it great to be in Ullapool? So, yeah, without, without a doubt, Ullapool or somewhere up there. Good choice. And favourite food? Favourite food. So, um, I mean, I'm not really... I'm not really a big, I'm not a foodie at all. And I think probably if someone were to put a plate of Mr. Kipling apple pies in front of me now, I would, I would smile and be happy and I would start eating them. They are, um, they're delicious things, but they're not the hallmark of a foodie. So I hold my hand up to that. That's fine. That's fine. It's all about what your favourite is. And I hope it's got some cinnamon in there, though. Apple and cinnamon. I do, I'm not sure that's reached Mr Kipling. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty basic, but very tasty. OK. <laughs> and then finally, book, film or video game. What would be your favourite? So I think um, tons, tons of books, but there's a standout film I really like and have liked since I think I first saw it on BBC, probably when I was about 15. And um, it's a Hitchcock film, Psycho. Um, and whenever I tell people my favourite film is Psycho, they say, yeah, that adds up. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all time great film, great performances. Very scary, still a bit scary. Even now we're sensitized to all that sort of stuff. And yeah, the music, the acting, the plot, the twist at the end. It's an all round amazing film that I will never tire of. So and I would recommend, you know, if any of if any of your listeners have not taken the opportunity to see that film, maybe because it's old or black and white or because of the title or something like that. Give it a give it a give it a chance. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for sharing and um, look, thanks for your time, Michael. Really appreciate uh, your candor and, and your insight. Um, it's been really uh, interesting and really helpful and I look forward to talking to you again. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Really enjoyed it.